All right. Good morning, State Church. What's going on, everybody? Come on. We say it every week. We believe that Jesus, he is the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, your habit, come on, we believe that if you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. Come on, have you already know that's true? Come on, somebody. Well, listen, we are in week number three, Trace, of things that go bump, things that go bump. And the conversation we've been having is this idea that there is very much a spiritual realm that interacts with this physical realm. But I want to say this, there's nothing worse in life than being alone and wondering Am I really alone? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, there's nothing probably more daunting than when you're home alone, especially if you live on a two-story home. Anybody else ever realize when you're downstairs, it sounds like somebody's upstairs? And then when you're upstairs, it sounds like somebody's downstairs. I mean, that is just like this thought of thinking maybe somebody's in the house. It did not help that I was raised in the original Freddie, Michael, uh, and Jason generation. Like, y'all are like part 37. I was there when they, these cats came on the scene. And some of you guys, again, many of us here in the south, in the north where I was raised, almost everybody has a basement. Having a basement down here is kind of a rare thing. And there is nothing worse because a lot of basements, if you have one, now they're finished. Back in the day, the generation I was raised in, you only kept tools and canned goods in the basement. And there was nothing worse than being eight years old and mom saying, Stephen, I need you to go get me another can of corn. You're like, I don't, I'm not that hungry. We can, we, in fact, I don't even love Jesus yet, but let's just fast for the night. Because the thought of going down into that basement, you wasn't sure what was waiting for you, but you knew something was waiting for you. And what was even worse was that if you left the light on and you had to go back down and turn the light off, come on, I you know what I'm talking about in Lawrenceburg, Florida. And there, was a, there weren't like light switches everywhere. There was always one light in like the back corner of the basement that had a pull cord. And so you had to go back and then like you would get ready to pull anything. Like you would, like Hussein Bolt out of that basement, click, and then you was gone. I mean, it's just something scary about thinking that you're alone. And it doesn't, I don't care what you say, I'll pull your man car. Listen, I can admit it, I'm still afraid of the dark. How many people can just be honest, like just something, you don't want to say be afraid, but still something uncomfortable about being, you know, being in the dark. And this is true for churches. People say all the time, man, it's so peaceful to come to church yeah, because you're coming in the middle of the day with a thousand people sitting in a room with all the lights on. I triple dog dare you to walk up in this place when nobody's here but you. You won't stay long. <laughs> this place is spooky at night. I've thought like, man, I left my laptop at home. I won't do any work. I left my Bible at, man, I left my Bible at the office. I'm like, I know enough scripture. I'll pick get that thing tomorrow. <laughs> Come on, there's nothing worse in life than being alone. The reality is though, we all grow up and we realize there's no boogeyman. There is no boogeyman. There's nobody in the basement. There's nobody in our attic. There's nobody under the bed. However, life is still difficult. It still is a challenge to realize and sometimes feel like you're living life alone. Maybe you've been abandoned in a marriage. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've lost a good friend. Sometimes to realize that we've lost our identity because our career got sidelined or went through a difficult season of life. And some of you in this room or in Lawrenceburg, you feel alone. In fact, you can sit in a room with a thousand people around you and feel like you're alone. And what I want to tell you this morning as we step into week three of things that go bump is I want to declare if you don't hear anything else, if you don't remember anything else, if you don't write anything else down, I want you to know this morning with full confidence you may feel like you're alone, but you are not alone. In fact, not only are you not alone, you are never alone. The present pro uh, promised presence of the Holy Spirit is with you. Come on, every single day, every single season, every single occasion, God is with you. You are not alone. You're not alone. So what I want to do today is I want to navigate this conversation about the Holy Spirit. 
Again, we've been in this series. If this is your first week here, I would encourage you to go back. We've been having this conversation again that there is a spiritual realm. And that might seem odd or eerie to hear about, but all the way in the beginning, the Bible tells us that God, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. So God is a spirit and he exists in this realm that's outside of the realm that we move and live and breathe in. And it was in that spiritual realm that God spoke this physical realm that you and I exist in into existence. And what we've been saying through this series is the spiritual realm is more important and more real than this physical realm because the spiritual realm was there first and it'll be there after this physical realm is gone. And the reason that's important, you're like, you know, pastor, I pay my bills here. I raise my kids here in this physical realm, in this physical plane. Like, why are we talking about this? Because what we've been saying through this series is ultimately there's this idea that this, this, there's an invisible world that impacts and affects this visible world. And so I want to have this conversation about the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's what we're going to read. Check this out. In John chapter 14, this is what Jesus said. He says this. He says, and I will ask the Father. I want us all to read this together. Every voice in Lawrenceburg, Florence. I want us to read it through two times if we can. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Come on, every voice one more time. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. So again, there is an invisible realm that impacts this, physical, this visible world. And what we've been talking about is in this invisible realm, in this invisible world that we don't see, we can't taste, touch, feel, we can't see, we can't hear, that's where God exists. Last week we found out that we all have a real spiritual enemy, that Satan is a real person. And he has real plans and purposes to interrupt and affect and impact and ultimately destroy your life. This is the same realm the Holy Spirit operates and exists in. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, depending on the denomination, if you were raised in church, you know, depending on your denomination, if you were raised in a mainline church like a Methodist or Episcopalian or Church of Christ, probably the Holy Spirit didn't get much playtime. Probably didn't get much airtime. The Holy Spirit was kind of this this thing you don't really talk much about. Now, if you were raised Pentecostal, come on, if you were raised charismatic, it was all about the Holy Ghost. Shabbadaba, let's go. And what I want you to know is, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit for a lot of us operates in this realm where we don't know, we don't care, we don't want to know. Or some of us are over here like we pray in tongues about everything and everything is spiritual and everything's over the top. What we have to know is that the Holy Spirit, here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to be out of this place and I'm going to send you, us, me and you, another advocate, another comforter. And he said, he's going to never leave you. And he is, say it with me, he is the Holy Spirit. First thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit is, is he's a he. We currently live in a culture that are all confused about our pronouns, and there's one person you don't want to get confused about his pronouns, and it is the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He's not a, he's not a thing. He's not a it. He's not a force, and he's not an energy. I talk to a lot of Christians when they talk about the Holy Spirit. They'll say it, that thing, that force. He's a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. As, as much as Jesus was a person, he said, I'll send you another. Everyone say another. 
I'll send you another comforter, which what Jesus was saying is, I'm with you now, but I'm about to go back to the Father, and when I go to the Father, I'm going to send you another comforter. The Greek word I know you don't care about is this word alos, A-L-L-O-S. It means another of the same quality and the same kind. So the same way Jesus was a person with a passion, the Holy Spirit is a person with a passion and has a purpose for your life. Let's go, somebody. And so he said, I'm going to send somebody to be with you the same way I was with you. And so as we have these conversations, I want to introduce you maybe for the first time to this person whose name is the Holy Spirit. And again, this is a big conversation, so we're going to kind of lean hard into some of the things that Jesus has to say. Because when you look at Scripture, this idea of the Holy Spirit is prolific in Scripture. Regardless of maybe how you were raised or your personal bent or what you feel, we find, again, the Holy Spirit is introduced in the very second verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered on the face of the deep. Second verse of Scripture, we're introduced to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit baptizes. The Holy Spirit uh, convicts. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. When I say the Holy Spirit is a person, I don't mean a human person. I mean he has personhood, has a will, can speak, has emotions, can be quenched, can be angered. So he is a person. And so the same way, and this is what I want to do, I want to lean into last week just a little bit. If you did not listen in these last couple weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen. But real quick, last week we talked about our spiritual enemy, that you have a spiritual enemy that wants to do everything he can to destroy your life. And that might seem extreme, but that's what Jesus taught. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy So what I want you to know is, as we lean back into last week, what the enemy does, we're going to lean into this week, what the Holy Spirit does to counteract what the enemy's up to. Come on, I told you in the beginning, you're not alone. You're not in this fight alone. You're not in this world alone. You're not in your marriage alone. You're not in your career alone. You're not in your struggles alone. Come on, you got somebody with you, in you, and for you, and he is the Holy Spirit. So last week we read in Ephesians chapter 6, that the Apostle Paul is is unfolding this person, Satan. Again, he's not in it alone. He's a single person, but we talked about last week, he's got a whole host of demons with him. Their goal is to destroy your life. And here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. He said that we're to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, which means the devil can't do anything to you. What we said last week is there are no victims. There's only volunteers. If you're not aware of what the enemy's up to, you'll fall for his tricks and his traps. And what we said last week is there's two primary things that the enemy does in all of our lives to work out what he wants to do. We said this, the primary strategies of the devil is temptations and accusations. Everybody say those two words, temptations and accusations. How many people here has ever been tempted before? Tempted not to come to church, tempted to hit the snooze button, tempted to hit your kid. Come on, tempted. (laughs) I mean, you're like, that's wrong. I know that's why the devil tempts you to do it. We've all been tempted. The idea of a temptation is what the enemy does is he leverages God-given desires for you to fulfill them in a way that is not God-honoring. He takes the temptations and the desires that God's put in all all of us and he wants to twist them and manipulate them and through demonically inspired impulses, feelings, little temptations, little subtle voices to cause us to click there, go there, say that, feel that way, carry that bitterness, do that. And so he works through temptations and not only through temptations but through accusations. What he wants to do is, again, he's a voice that wants to accuse your character 
You're a mess up. God could never love you. Or he accuses God's character. Go ahead and pray. God's tired of forgiving you. You said you wouldn't do it again, and you did it again. And you said you wouldn't do it again, again, and you did it again. God's done with you. And so what the enemy does is he tries to keep you disconnected by temptations. If you keep living your life your way, you're disconnected from Christ. And when you finally decide to connect with Christ through what Jesus did, the enemy says God won't take you. Temptations and accusations. What I want to talk about today is, man, the enemy is so good at what he does. Man, I fall for it all the time myself. But we don't have to because he, the Holy Spirit, is with all of us. And he has a strategy to counteract the temptations and the accusations of the enemy. And so I want to lean into this conversation. If you have your Bible, I want you to check out John chapter 16. This is a conversation. Jesus spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit, but he spoke a lot. If you want to read more, because I don't have time to dig into all of it today. John chapter 14 and 16. This is towards the end of the ministry of Jesus. He knows he's about to lay down his life. That's why he came. He knows he came from the Father. He's getting ready to go back to the Father. And so he pulls his disciples in for a little private conversation. And this is what he says to him towards the end of his ministry. Watch this. John chapter 16, verse 5. He says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. He said, you're upset because I told you I'm leaving you. Verse 7, but in fact, it is best for you. Everybody say those words. It is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Think about the ridiculousness of the statement that Jesus just made. The disciples have spent three years of their life. Jesus is their master. He's their Messiah. He's their teacher. They have figured out how to navigate life by hanging out with Jesus. They have figured out who God is and what God is like and what does it mean to live and walk for God. They've gotten that all from Jesus. Imagine how close they were. And here's Jesus. They thought they were going to be with Jesus like till the end. And Jesus is looking at them. He's saying, I'm out. And they're like, what? And he says, hey, it's good news though that I'm out. And I just got to say this real quick side note. How could it possibly be best for us, for the disciples then and us now? How could it be best for Jesus to leave? Just quick side note. I got to say this. The disciples didn't like that Jesus was leaving. But sometimes in order to fulfill God's plan for your life, you got to disappoint people. And Jesus was okay looking at the disciples saying, I know you might be mad at me. I know you might be upset at me, but I'm going to do what honors the Father and not just what pleases you. Some of you, what's keeping you from moving forward is you're afraid of disappointing people. Sometimes you've got to put people on in and let God take care of them and honor God with your life. Come on. But why is it best? Think about the audacity of that statement. Jesus said it's best, good, better, best. It's not even better. He said it's best for you if I'm out of here. Do you know why? This is so good. It's a couple of reasons because Jesus was with God in the flesh, was with the disciples. How could it get better than that? He said, and here's why, because a couple of things you got to think about. When Jesus said, it's best that I leave. First of all, Jesus is only able to be with people in groups, right? He could hang out with the 12. He could hang out with the multitudes. He could hang out with the groups, people that came for healing. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes, he can be with us individually. He can be with you in the shower. He can be with you in the car. He can be with you on the assembly line. He can be with you in the cubicle. And when the same time he's with you, he can be with me. And the same time he's with me, he can be with you over there. So Jesus was limited to a group of people at one time. The Holy Spirit is able to be with us individually. Come on, anybody willing to say upgrade? Not only was he willing and able to be with us individually where Jesus could only be with us corporately, Jesus said, I'm with you, but when the Holy Spirit comes, come on, somebody, he's going to be in you. Come on. The Holy Spirit of God is dwelling on the inside of you. When I said yes to Jesus, Jesus said yes to me and sent you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have the Bible memorized to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to Sunday school. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to give money. The minute you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Everybody say in me. In me. Come on, everybody say upgrade. Jesus said, it's better if I'm out of here. I can only be with you, but the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's amazing. So he said, you get to be corporately, now individually. Used to be with you, now I'm in you. Jesus was only here temporarily. Come on, this is where I started. Holy Spirit is with you for life. Come on, 24-7, 365, he will never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you. Wherever you go, whatever you go through, good times, bad times, ups, downs. When you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Who's with you? The Holy Spirit, because he is in you. Come on, anybody here willing to talk about the upgrade of the Holy Spirit in our life? It's better, it's best. Jesus said, if I'm out of here, well, why? Again, he navigates this conversation and he starts to lean and here's really why it's better. Again, here's what we want to talk about. The strategy of the enemy, the plan of the enemy to destroy your life, temptations and accusations. And Jesus said, you need some help. Did you know the Holy Spirit is called a helper? Do you know why he's called a helper? You know what helpers do? Helpers. You got to help me. Helpers. Helpers. So you ain't in this fight alone. You're not in the struggle alone. You're not in this journey alone. Jesus sent you a helper to help against the work of the enemy. He gave you the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to counteract and overcome the work of the enemy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And so listen to what Jesus says, how the Holy Spirit helps us to counteract the strategy of the enemy. Listen to this. Oh, let me back up. I got to say this. If you're taking notes, this is, this is in it. I think your, your associations should determine your attitude. When I say that, anybody here, you got, someone, you got someone that you can call if you get in trouble? If you don't have a friend, you're in trouble. But I have figured out in life, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Come on, if, you, if you're going to court, I've been to court a couple of times. It's bad walking into court, you feel. But if you got a good attorney... Walking in the club and you see some people that are after you, you got some people with you. Only the thugs know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Come on, it's good, to have, it's good to have somebody on your side. It's good to have somebody with reputation or someone with provision where you feel like I don't have anything to offer, but check out my friend. Come on, when you're going into a situation and you got somebody that has your back, I'm telling you, your associations determine your attitude. If you're in it alone, you're probably going to be overcome. But if you know you got somebody with you with strength and potential and power and authority, you know you're going to be okay. The Holy Spirit's with you. You're going to be okay. Back in, uh, I think probably about eight years ago, I had the privilege to go to Tanzania. I talked a couple months ago about one of the safaris I was on. I've had the privilege uh, to go on multiple safaris and to see out in the wilderness. It's different than going to an American zoo where you're safe behind glass and riding in a truck where you are absolutely vulnerable and they can eat you if they want to. Game changer. 
And so this is the only time I went on a safari. And actually at the end of our safari, I'm sorry, we got there. We were going on the safari the next day. We get there and our guide is showing us around. And I found out that we were actually staying on the Serengeti. When I say staying on the Serengeti, we weren't behind a fence in a building. We were sleeping in tents, in canvas tents, on the ground. Some of y'all are not appreciating this because you're too American. Picture this. I'm in a turkey suit laying on a dinner plate, wild animals, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, are coming. And so we're walking around, and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like, this is going to be kind of amazing. We are sleeping on the Serengeti. This is going to be amazing. Holy cow, this is really scary. And what made it worse was our guide is letting us know, hey, you know, like, you need to be very careful. These are real, wild, live animals. They're not tame at all. They will eat you. They will attack you. Be on guard, be aware, be cautious. I left my guns in America, what the heck? And so he tells us there's three animals specifically that you need to be very careful of at night. Number one, he said you have to be very careful of elephants. He said elephants are sneaky quiet. You would think they would make a lot of noise. He said, but they can, you can actually, an elephant can actually sneak up on you and you not know it, and then they can get very violent if you're up in their personal space. I know, right? Who knew? The second animal they talked about were hyenas. And they said hyenas are absolutely fierce. They're pack animals. And uh, they were talking about how when they attack humans, they attack your face. And that just the week before we got there, one of the workers at the area we were staying at, they found laying on the side of a tree with his face ripped off. I know I'm like, woo And they were telling us how, how, uh, how strong the jaw strength of hyenas were, that a hyena can rip a tire, a rubber tire, off of a jeep. Which one of my friends says, he's like, he's like hey, I'm, man, I'm, are we safe here? To which the director said, why are you wearing a rubber suit? And he said, no, but I have a face. <laughs> so we're really concerned. And the third animal they said you need to be concerned about are lions. And they said, while lions primarily hunt during the day, if they sense that there is prey around, which we are, then they are willing to attack at night. So they said this, do not go out of your tent. Keep your, this is what they said, right? Keep your tent zipped. Oh, that's comforting. So elephants, hyenas, and lions, and I got a zipper <laughs> on my tent. But we get all the way through, and I'm kind of, again, there's this excitement, but there's this nervousness, there's this fear. And just before we go on our tents for the night, this, these, these guys come, because there are several tents, and every single tent had a Maasai warrior guarding their tent for the night. If you don't know the Maasai tribe, the Maasai tribe is a tribe that primarily is from Kenya down in the, in the Tanzania. Maybe you've seen some pictures of them. These are the guys who are typically extremely tall. They are all known for wearing these, these red garments, and they each carry a staff and a spear. Their entire tribe are warriors. We didn't get kind of the average ones. We got the, the kick-butt warriors of the kick-butt warriors, and their job, they were paid to overwatch us and make sure we were kept safe at night, which means come lions and tigers and bears. I got a Maasai warrior on my side. Come on, your association determines your attitude. What the reason I tell tell you that is I had a confidence, not because of who I was or where I was, but who was with me. The Bible says that we have an enemy who's like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. I'm just telling you, I got a Messiah warrior on the inside of me, the Holy Spirit, and so do you. You're going to be okay. So here's what Jesus says. This is the work of the Holy Spirit who is not just with you, but in you. John chapter 16, verse 8, here's what he does. And when he comes, when's he coming? When Jesus left, and went back to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. In every person, the moment you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. 
when he comes, read it with me, he will convict the world of its, and of God's, and of the coming. Say it again, Lawrenceburg, Florence, one more time. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its, and of God's, and of the coming. So he said the work, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. Maybe a better word is to convince you, is to talk you into it, is to let you know. And the three things that he does, there's three things, and again, each of these counteract what the enemy's up to, is the first thing Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to do for us is he's going to convict us of sin. I know that seems like throwing cold water on a hot fire. Let me tell you why that's really important. Because again, you know what the Holy, or you know what the enemy does? The enemy wants to tempt you. And the way the enemy tempts us is he tries to trick us into thinking what we want to do is the right thing to do when in reality it's the wrong thing to do. And so it's almost like we, we've seen this in shows or TVs or cartoons back in the day where you have like an angel on one side of your shoulder trying to tell you to do one thing and you've got a little demon on the other side, a little dude in red pajamas and a pitchfork trying to tell you to do the wrong thing. Come on, everybody in this room, help me. We all got the voices. We all got the urges. We all got the temptations and the tug of war in our heart. That is the voice of the enemy tempting you to do wrong and the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that, it's wrong. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need somebody to remind me where the out of bounds is, where don't go there, don't do that, don't click that, don't call them. You need to hang up. You need to close that door. You need to walk away. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? The, te the tempter will tempt you into walking in. The Holy Spirit will say, don't go there. The Holy Spirit will let you know that's out of bounds. This is a conversation probably not a lot of us maybe are not engaged in. I, uh, I watch, a, I not watch, but I listen to a whole, a whole array of podcasts. I listen to leadership podcasts, secular and church. Um, I listen to really kind of odd things, um, things you should know, spitballers, your fake history. I just like a whole, like, just a whole array of things. There's one podcast I listen to. <clears throat> I listen a lot to, uh, to Christian debates with debating atheists. I just want to know what they're thinking and what we should be thinking. A common conversation that comes up is this question right here. Can people be moral without religion? More specifically for our context, can a person, can a person be moral without Christianity? Can you be moral without faith? It seems like a silly question, doesn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I know lots of people that don't really know Jesus, but they seem like good people. Like I know a lot of people that, that aren't walking out the faith, but they're still good dads, still good moms. They're, they're good in our culture and society. But the real answer is no, you can't be moral without Christ. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the one who sets the standard of morality. Morality isn't in us. Morality isn't something that's subjective. It's objective. That means it has to come from somebody besides us. Because I don't know if y'all figured this out, but I've lived on this earth for 49 years and 300 and some days. That's my way of saying I ain't 50 yet. <laughs> and in the 50 years I've lived on this earth, culture and community keeps on shifting what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. They keep telling us that's okay. No, no, that's not okay. Now it's, it's okay. And what used to be okay is not okay. And what used to be not be okay is now okay. Is anybody tracking what I'm saying? I'm saying culture will continue to shift what morality is. But the Holy Spirit will tell you what is always God-honoring and always dishonoring. What was true 2,000 years ago is true now. And what's true now will be true in 2,000 years from now should Jesus tarry. Jesus said there's coming a time that men will call good evil and evil good good. That's what the enemy does is culture wants to convince you that something is now okay because culture said it's okay. But our morality of the standard of morality that we have of what is right and what is wrong only comes from God. So it is the only, only the Holy Spirit of God that can really show you those boundaries. 
I know culture said I can do that, but Holy Spirit, help me. And so he will, he will convince you what is sin. And he don't just convince us of what's sin. Watch this. He convinces us of righteousness. Do you know why that's important? Because there is nobody who can make me feel worse in this world than the enemy. And man, I'm so good sometimes of leaning in and listening to his whispers of shame and condemnation. And that's what he wants to do because, again, remember, he works through temptations that the Holy Spirit counteracts with sin, convincing us of sin. And the enemy works through accusations with the Holy Spirit comes and tells us, no, you're not a mess up. You're righteous. Come on, you're not, I know you messed up, but that's not, that's what you did. That's not who you are. Who you are is you are still a son or a daughter of the most high God. Your actions don't discount Christ's actions. His actions trump your actions. And I am forever fixed in the hands of the father and no man can snatch me out. Come on, somebody. So when I mess up, immediately the enemy goes to work and says, come on, man, what kind of pastor are you? You call yourself a Christian? God will never forgive you. The, de- the term devil is not a name. It's actually a title, and it literally means slanderer. The work of the devil is to slander your character and God's character. You're a mess up, and God's not merciful. You're a mistake, and God's not gracious. And you can either choose to listen to the whispers of the enemy that say that, or you can choose to listen to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit that tells me I'm not a mess up. I'm forgiven. I'm adopted. I'm chosen. I belong in God's family. Come on, somebody. I'm made in his image. He died on the cross to capture me, win me, save me, wash me, make me righteous. Come on, somebody. So righteousness, if you don't know this, if maybe you're new to church and you're kicking the tires on faith, let me tell you the big idea. It's bigger than buildings and bigger than sermons and Sundays. The big idea of Christianity is this, that you sinned and so did I. You messed up and so did I. You fell short and so did I. Every one of us that's watching this that ever will, We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. We all mess up. And there's nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing I can do to fix it. You can't do enough good things. You can't go back in time and change what you did yesterday. And so the only thing that fixes our mistakes is that Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, sent on a rescue mission because God is so blissfully in love with you that he didn't want to lose you, but he wanted to win you for eternity. So he sent his son to die in your place to take your sin, your guilt, your shame, And give us the gift. Everybody say gift. To give us the gift of righteousness. So righteousness is a position. Once you are given the gift of righteousness that you can't earn, you can just take it and say, I don't deserve it, but God, thank you for it. And when you take the gift of righteousness, your position is you are righteousness. Which means when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistake, your failures, your shortcomings. Check this out. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. I'll take that one. He belongs to me. She's mine. She belongs to me. Come come on, somebody. And so the Holy Spirit, his job is no matter how much the enemy says you're a shame and you're a mistake and you're a failure, you missed the mark. You did what? I can't believe you called them, dated them, slept with them. I can't believe you had an abortion. I can't believe you stole it. I can't believe you clicked that. He is there to tell you, but you are still mine. Your position is ever fixed as the righteousness of God in Christ. But righteousness isn't just a position, it's a practice. Which means the Holy Spirit is also with us to help us live this thing out. See, where the enemy will say, go ahead and be bitter at him. The Holy Spirit whispers, no, go ahead and forgive him. Has anybody else been in this situation? Lots of relationships, but where, where are my married people at? If you're married, wave at me. Have you ever had a fight with your spouse and you knew you were right? 
which is like 99.9% of mine. I didn't say you were right. I said you thought you were right. And you're sitting out on the porch, you're sitting out somewhere, and you're like, I ain't going in there apologizing. She's wrong. And you got a list of why she's, come on, help me out, men, don't cower on me. I know you're sitting next to him. She can't swing on me because I'm safe. I got bodyguards watching me. But you're like, I'm not going in there. And then a still small voice comes, says, you need to go in there. You need to go reconcile. You need to get swallow your pride and go say you're sorry. Where does that come from? It's because the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. And if he can keep you in pride, it will destroy your marriage. But the Holy Spirit comes and tells you, you are righteous, but now go let's walk this thing out. And it's not in your power, but the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the capacity and the ability to walk in love, to walk in grace, to walk in forgiveness, to overcome things that used to overcome us. That's why the Holy Spirit came. You're not alone, so you can win in the victory. Watch this. The devil leads us to do what is rebellious, but the Holy Spirit leads us to do what is righteous. So the enemy doesn't just tempt you to think something. The enemy tempts you to do something. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit not to make you think something, but to cause you to do something, to walk our faith out. And again, you're not in it alone. And so as much as the enemy wants to lie to you, tempt you, and to lie to you and to accuse you, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to really point out What's sin and what isn't? To really point out and make it clear, no matter in your failures, you're still a child of God. To convince us of our righteousness. And check this out. This is important. This last part, he convicts us of judgment. Again, these are kind of big church words. Righteousness, judgment. Let me tell you why it's important. We live in a world, and I think there's some attraction to it that'll tell you, like, seize the day. Live in the moment. Be you. And like there's something attractive about that message. But here's what you need to know. Is someday, no matter how you've lived and who you are and where you're from, no matter your religious upbringing, no matter your religious affiliation, no matter whether you believe in God or you don't, it doesn't change who he is. And the Bible says in Hebrews that it's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment, which means every single person who's listening to this message will one day stand before God and give an account of your life. Now see, all the way back in the beginning, I told you in Genesis when the enemy showed up, God made a perfect paradise, set a perfect man, perfect woman in the middle, had a perfect relationship horizontally with each other, vertically with their creator. And God said, it's all yours, all the colors, All of creation, God said, I made it all for you. Enjoy. And in slipped the slithery serpent, Satan. Remember, God said, it's all yours but one tree. He said, you can eat all of it, just not that one. You say, "Why, why would God put the tree there like God tempted man? It's because you can't properly love until love becomes an option. So when you choose to obey or disobey, what you're choosing is do you love God? And so the Satan slips in and says, hey, how about this tree over here? Why don't you eat some of this tree? And remember what Eve said, if you don't know the story, let me tell you, because that's what I get paid to do. She's like, we can't eat that tree. Our creator said that one's off bounds. In fact, he said it's so off bounds. Listen, listen, listen. He said the day we eat of it, we will surely die. 
You know what Satan said? You won't die. What he was, what he was doing is what he still does is he wants to cover the consequences. It's just someone you dated in high school. Just call them and see what they're up to. There's no consequences. You're out of town for the night. Nobody sees you. Nobody knows you. No consequences. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No consequences. Nobody knows. You went to that clinic and nobody knows you there. In fact, they didn't have you fill anything out. No consequences. See, the enemy wants to convince you that there are just no consequences. Just do it and you can just move on with your life. And the Holy Spirit is in the background of all of our lives saying, there is a coming judgment, which is not a weight and a worry. It's a reminder that one day, as I stand before Jesus, who have, he's seen it all, he knows every thought, every action, every deed. First of all, it was all carried on the cross of Calvary. So I will not give an account, nor will you as a Christian, for sin. But I'll still give an account for lots of missed opportunities and lots of disobedience. And so keeping that in front of me is what helps keep me on track, that there's a judgment coming. So here's the question. So the voice of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what keeps us on track. He is the one who's with us. I don't know if you guys caught this, but have you realized how easy it is to hear the voice of the enemy? Anybody else like can hear him loud and like loud and clear, like the temptations and the weight and the disappointment. And it's kind of, anybody here hear him real, real loud wave at me? Like the voice of the enemy is crystal clear. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you here can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit crystal clear? How many of you here wish you could hear him a lot clearer? Look at the hands. Isn't that crazy? And what's funny is all of us, we know people when they talk about hearing from God, there's always that one person in the, in the crew. Like we always got one person in our small group. There's always one person. If you work with some believers, there's always that one person on the job. Like, like the Holy Spirit's always talking to them. Like I woke up this morning, the Lord told me not wear the red shirt, to wear the blue shirt. First of all, God doesn't care what you wear. So you don't need to quit standing in front of your closet speaking in tongues. He doesn't care. Just cover, cover the junk. That's what I would say. Just cover the junk. But there's always these people that like, it sounds like they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They hear the voice of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment so clear. And sometimes we feel like, why don't I, why don't I hear it that clear? I want to tell you two things and we'll close. The presence of his voice is founded in salvation, which means if you are a child of God, then the Spirit of God is in you, and He is with you, and He is speaking to you. Now, you might say, Pastor, I hear you saying that, but I don't hear Him as clear as some people talk about it. Number two, while the presence of His voice is founded on salvation, the power of His voice, the volume of His voice is founded on surrender, which means all of us have heard the Holy Spirit say, don't. did it anyways or he told us to do something and we said no and the less you surrender the harder your heart becomes and the quieter his voice seems to be and when you choose to live a life where you lean into his voice and you want to hear and you start to obey and you start to surrender the louder his voice becomes and it's not because he's talking any louder than he's ever talked it's just now that you can hear him in a way you've never heard because you began to live a life of surrender. So he's talking, 
The only question is, are you listening? And the more you listen, the less you'll give in to temptation. And the more you listen, when you fall and if you fall, the quicker you can get up and get back to the Father's business. So let me ask again in Lawrenceburg and Florence, how many of you here want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit louder than you've ever heard it? Come on, can you stand to your feet? I want to pray. We don't do it a lot, but if you'll just lift your hands. Man, I just want to pray. And just for just 30 seconds before I pray, will you just ask in your own words, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? Will you help me to hear? I want to follow. I want to obey. I want to walk in victory. Lord, help me. Father in Lawrenceburg and Florence and everybody online, Holy Spirit, we invite you to begin to speak with such clarity in our lives. Forgive us for the times we've ignored you. Forgive us for the times we did life our own way. Holy Spirit, if you'll come and show us the boundaries, God, if you'll come and mark the path, if you'll come and remind us of who we are, Lord, with your help, we will stay faithful in the journey to follow you. So Holy Spirit, speak and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.